When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your hosts, Griffin Youngs and Christian Boulay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Bollet, as always, as we're talking about something we I don't think we've ever talked about on the show, the undefeated Colorado Avalanche. Four games into the season, they take care of business against the Seattle Kraken for a 4-1 to win, and then have their home opener and just dominate an overmatched Blackhawks team. 4 to nothing to move to 4-0 and on the season, one of three undefeated teams remaining on the season, the very early part of this season at least, but... Just to keep this concise and somewhat tolerable so we're not all over the place, let's just start with Seattle. The first period, at very least, Christian, looked a lot like that playoff series. I was having flashbacks, man. I, I thought we were back at, like, game five, honestly. it It is – I don't know what it is about the Kraken's play style. The abs just can't handle it for some reason. And even though the abs – like seen better on paper, it was just a repeat of everything. And if McKinnon and Ranton and McCarr weren't um, doing everything, there was no offensive drive going into that, going into that game. And uh, we both were wrong in the fact that uh, believe it or not, the Kraken did score the first goal of the game. So make that eight straight games. The Kraken have scored the first goal against the Avs. Yeah. There was a lot of carryover from the playoff series into this first rematch of the new season, starting about 90 seconds into the first period. Logan O'Connor steps on the ice, finds himself to be on the same ice as Jordan Everly. And for those of you who need a refresher, uh, cross-checked Andrew Cogliano into the board and broke his neck in two places. And Logan O'Connor, the Loch Ness monster, does not forget. He drops the gloves with Jordan Everly and kind of feeds it to him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, kudos to Eberle for just being like, I got to suck it up, take my punishment here. And uh, Logan O'Connor beat his brains in. And it, it was one of those ones where I, I think we can consider that matter settled. Like, yeah. we're, we're good to go. We can move past it. Like, the abs got their revenge. Eberle was a man, took his punishment, and we were good. Yeah, credit to Jordan Eberle. He saw Logan O'Connor. O'Connor asked him to fight, and he's like, yeah. Thought this was coming. He dropped the gloves. You could tell Jordan Everly is not really much of a fighter. Nope. And he definitely got rocked in that fight a bit. But credit where it's due for dropping the gloves and answering for it. I mean, there was a lot of months of pain in there for Andrew Cogliano. Now, it doesn't just go away because it's been almost six months since that playoff series. That just doesn't blow over. But I would definitely consider the matter settled. We don't really need to have this this conversation again. I mean, Jordan Everly is not a dirty player yeah. i don't think he was trying to break his friend's neck on that play i mean him and Cagliano used to be teammates i don't think he's trying to put him in a 
dangerous situation there. But the matter settled, and Logan O'Connor, who is going to be a topic of conversation in this episode, has had himself a hell of a two games and sets the tone in this game for the Avalanche with the fight 90 seconds in. But for the rest of the first period, kind of a mess for the Avs. They were just very sloppy on the puck, and Seattle just looked like they picked up right where they left off and looked like we were just going to be in for another long, suffocating night. The the Kraken just had a guy on every single pass. Everyone just had someone on top of everything. The Avs could barely even move in this first period. I think the Kraken were just like, hey, we're going to do exactly what we did in the playoff series and do it again. And they executed it flawlessly. And it, I I don't know, like, do you think, like, part of the reason why is the Kraken were a pretty desperate team in this situation? Like, I mean, they, they've had a slow start to the season. Um, their shooting percentage, which was ungodly last year at five on five, has appeared to regress to the mean, which could spell trouble for them because it's not like they have a ton of offensive playmakers. I think Matty Benier still doesn't have a point to, to start the year. So it is... I think part of it was the Kraken's play style, and they were obviously the more desperate team going into that game against the Avs. I thought the Avs came out a little bit slow, which I think that was surprising because we both were expecting like, hey, like you guys got us in the playoffs. We're going to come out pissed off and we're going to play well, and that just wasn't the case. I mean, that's kind of been a thing for most of these games. I'd say for at least three or four of them, I'd say all games since the Kings game, maybe like the Sharks game wouldn't say they were slow, but the first period compared to the other two were definitely their worst. Correct. And then this game against the Kraken, I mean, the Kraken. It's kind of like the reverse of what last year was. Last year, they right. were really good to start games, and then they sucked near the end. Right. And now, I don't even say they suck at the beginning of games, but the, we'll talk about third periods in a little bit here. They've been excellent in them. For the Kraken, it's their home opener. They've struggled in a lot of games. It's the Avs. There's a lot of juice in that game. They just seem to be a little ready out of the gates. But the difference was this time with the Avs is that they had a response. And obviously the Kraken got on the board first in this game. Like you mentioned, Kyler Yamamoto with his first as a member of the Kraken. And one of the the only time in this episode we're going to talk about a goal that Alex Yurgiev gave up in this game or any game for that matter, just beats him off of his angle and goes up high. I mean, if it wasn't for Georgiev in the first period, it would have been much worse than 1-0. He made some unbelievable... Can we just do the, the Georgiev talk now? Because we're, I, I... We're probably going to do it just throughout the entire episode yeah. because he's just so entrenched in both of these wins and this, this team's success so far in the season that we're probably just going to keep doing it anyway. Fair, so fair. Let's keep going. Let's keep yeah. going. Then. Yeah, the, the, that was the exact point. If it wasn't for Alex Georgiev, the Avs lose this game probably 5-4. He, 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 he was, for, he was if phenomenal. If it wasn't for Georgiev, the Avs are probably 2-2. Two and two. Right now, they probably lose yeah. that game to the Sharks, but probably give up that extra goal and don't have enough time to get the other ones back. They probably lose this game to the Kraken behind a pretty slow start. And having Georgiev just keep them in mo- the top momentum the entire time. Even the Blackhawks game, they probably would have given up an early goal. That game probably would have gone a little differently. I still think they would win, but probably would have gone a little differently than what we ultimately got. And Georgiev's just been so important for this team, but he keeps it one to nothing in the first period. And from this point on, the Avs, they it seemed like they kind of figured it out. And maybe it's not hard to imagine why they were actually icing a team this time against the Seattle Kraken. And one of the things that you see four games into this young season already that they desperately missed last year was healthy Val Nichushkin. He yes. struggled 
last year with that ankle injury. He never fully looked like himself. He looks good right now. And he digs, out, he digs out a puck on the boards, gets it to Lekkinen, and they're both crashing the net. Lekkinen finds the loose puck, ties the game at one. And those two together, I really hope they, they gel for the rest These of the These past season. two games, they've looked really good. Yeah, really I, good. I like those two a lot together. Just such puck hounds. It's almost... You almost want to spread them out on other lines, but when you do have them together, it's just so infuriating to play against. They're the exact same player, except one's just a fucking tank and the other one thinks he's a tank, but he plays like it. So they, they've they worked really well in these past two games. I, I think that's going to stick because what we'll talk about later in the in the Blackhawks game, I think the Avs may have found a guy who couldn't go onto that top line with McKinnon and Rantanen. So I think those two are going to stick. It. I want it to work so badly because their suffocating defensive play is going to just infuriate so many top lines. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a factor against Seattle that we did not have in the playoff series last year. You had Lekkanen, but you have to throw him up on the well, top he, line. Lekkanen a broken foot too. Yeah, Broken foot and still have to throw him up on the top line. And they're missing that extra step from Nachushkin, that extra explosiveness that even if they just had last year, Val, who was still fantastic it still would have been a very big help in what ultimately was a razor close playoff series. And eventually you do get that goal that ties the game and the Avs they just seemed more comfortable after this, like Seattle. I think the problem with Seattle is that they actually did play a really good game. Even beyond the first period, they had a really strong game. They it's like, we're kind of talking about, they don't really have closers on their roster. And they've lost guys in this offseason as well. Like they lost a guy like Daniel Sprong to Detroit, and they do have Berkey back, who they didn't have in the playoff series last year. Would you really call Berkey a, a closer kind of player that you, you get him the puck and he's going to be the guy that just automatically puts it in the back of the no, net? No, I mean, I think the Kraken, it's pretty easy what they are. They're just a team of really good players. They don't have a superstar. They just have a bunch of really good players. And I, I think it was Ferraro who said it. He talked to Hackstall and he was like, if this team doesn't play perfect every game, they're not going to win a lot of games. Right. And th that's where they are because they don't have that game breaker. Right. And, and you look at their entire roster right now. The only guy with more than one goal is Jaden Schwartz. Everyone else, or I'm sorry, Jared McCann has two goals as well. But they, to their credit, are spreading their offense around again. But it's just they don't really have the kind of player who can close out the show kind of thing. Cause I think if they did, this would have obviously been a much closer game. There were moments that Seattle even beyond the first period had Colorado in danger, but they couldn't really do anything with it. I mean, obviously the first one that comes to mind, Berkey has a breakaway, totally missed the net. Just come. Yeah, that brought back good memories. Yeah. Good memories. You're telling me, man, I've watched this guy since I was 14. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, uh, Seattle definitely missed a bunch of chances in this game early on to take a stranglehold on the game. But, I mean, that just goes back to the point where Georgiev was just coming up with a big save every single time. And the Avs eventually just have the game breakers on their team. They only need one chance, and they're going to they're going to pounce. Right, exactly. And Logan O'Connor, again, the, the man of the episode, has himself a night. He has the fight in the first period. This was a bit of a penalty fest as well when you start to look yeah. at all the penalties that took place in this game I mean, Seattle had four power plays in this game and they get outscored by the abs penalty killing unit. Logan O'Connor 
finds a finds the puck on a breakaway and just buries it past Philip Grubauer. I mean, the the kind of things that you couldn't even dream of getting in this playoff series last year. You get a hardworking play on the boards from Leckie and Val to set up a goal. You get a shorthanded goal from Logan O'Connor that I think completely shifted the momentum of this game. It was already shifting, but like this sent the message that this was a little different this time. Yeah, it it, it flipped the whole momentum of the game and it it was more just like once he scored, it was like, okay, just go get that next one and this game's over. Because, you know, the way Georgiev was playing and the Kraken just not – like they had a bunch of shots, but do you really remember that many high-danger scoring chances for him? Not outside of the first period. Yeah. There were a couple for them in the first period. There definitely were a couple where Georgiev had to bail the team out and everything and keep Seattle off the board. But outside of that, I mean, there was a couple of chances for Seattle. I mean, particularly the Berkey one obviously comes to mind if Berkey just shot better sometimes and didn't just go on these hot and cold streaks. That probably is at least on net at the very least. But outside of that, I mean, Seattle, they just, they didn't have a whole lot. They really didn't. And, uh, you know, what's funny about Berkey, like, yeah, he missed the net, but that puck was still going super fast, man. That wrist shot looked good. It just missed the net by a wide margin. So it was a soccer net. It might've had a chance. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but, uh, we go to the third period. Well, we we didn't really talk much about the Logan O'Connor goal quite. Oh yeah. True. Um, it was, were you having thoughts when he had that breakaway? Like, could it be anyone else except Logan O'Connor? Uh, he looked confident on it. I, <laughs> you don't, you don't want to get your hopes up on it, but for Logan, I mean, he had the fight in the first period. He looked engaged on it, and just that burst of speed and the finish that you wouldn't expect from a player like Logan O'Connor. And we'll talk about his next goal in the Blackhawks game later. Kind of looking like he's developing a shot all of a sudden, but the the lead is kind of buried on this goal because Kale McCarr setting it up uh, did something that no one else has done in NHL history. And he is the fastest defenseman to ever reach 250 points doing it in 241 games, beating everybody. But let's be clear on that. Every single defenseman that has ever played in the NHL, he beat Bobby Orr by six games here on this assist to the Logan. Bobby Orr is pretty good, right? Bobby. Yeah. You know, you think of Bobby Orr when you think of pretty good defensemen, right? Yeah, he was solid. He had a couple good games. Yeah, there's a couple of those guys. <laughs> and it's hilarious when you look at the the list that ESPN put on the screen behind him. Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. McCarr, I think we – I said this on Twitter after it happened. Is I think we just have to kind of get used to these things with Kale McCarr. Like just, oh, he's done something that no one's done since the 90s. He broke this record that's been standing for this long. He's the fastest player to do this. We're we're just going to have to get used to it because there has not been a player like Gail McCarr. And he is one of a kind. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm looking this up right now. Uh, there's only eight NHL defensemen to have a thousand points. And you imagine Kale McCarr is going to be the ninth, right? Yeah. I imagine so. Like it, it's just crazy because who is it? Paul Coffey who has the most points for a defenseman? I think it is. Uh, you think that that if Kale McCarr can stay healthy, that record's attainable for him. And his play style is indicative to the fact that he's probably going to play 
16, 17 years in the league, right? You'd think so. I mean, Kale McCarr is 24. Yeah. That's pretty Kale nice. McCarr is not even in like his prime or anything like that yet. And you can probably realistically say 10 years from now, he's going to be 34 years old and is probably still going to have a good couple of years left in the tank down the road still. And he's already doing stuff like this and the fastest defenseman to do this, stacking up awards left and right. I mean, I really want to make sure that we're not taking for granted what we are witnessing here. Like this is special. We We are currently watching one of the best players of this generation who is going to be talked about in this era of hockey as one of the best players playing in it and go down in history as one of the best to ever do it. And we're watching at 24 right now. We are nowhere even near the end of it. We're still at the beginning. We're way closer to the beginning than the end. But that doesn't mean you should take any of this for granted, that you get to be witness to something like this and have Kale McCarr do these kinds of things on an everyday basis because this is not only like once in a lifetime, some teams never see this. Right. See, like, like, so you, you look at the next one, uh, Paul coffee reached a uh, thousand points in 770 games. Do you think that's attainable for kale? A thousand points. Yeah. I don't know, man. We're, we're at 250 right now. Right. We're 750 away at the moment. I mean, it's certainly possible. It is, but it's just crazy. Like some of these stats, like I'm looking this up right now. It is just funny. Wayne Gretzky reached a thousand points in 424 games. <laughs> Ridiculous. Mario Lemieux did it in 513. You know what's funny is the slowest. Uh, Patrick Marlowe had a thousand points, but it took him 1300 games to get there. It all counts the same. Yeah, it all counts the same. And this is what's crazy too. There's only 97 players to score a thousand points. Only 56 reached it in less than a thousand games. That's ridiculous yeah like this is like a thousand points it it should be like a soup it is still a very like surreal number to get to but the abs realistically have what three guys who could get to a thousand points like you have kale miko and mac like there's a chance that the abs could have three thousand point players in this generation so i'd I'd say it's kind of it's a layup at very least for mckinnon and ranton and to be a thousand points i'd say pretty sure that kale's gonna do that too even for a defenseman yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's crazy that we're talking about a um, defenseman like this because I mean, like I'm I'm looking at this right now. I don't think we talk enough about how Paul Coffey did that in 770 games, and the next closest defenseman's Ray Bork at 933. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a ridiculous record. Yeah, he, I mean, McKinnon's almost already. He'll be at 800 by the end of this year minimum because he's at 763. Yeah, so Mc, probably McKinnon in the next, he's going to backpedal his way into a thousand points. Yeah. Like he's crazy. Um, so it, it is. What do you think about would Kale McCarr, would he be just as much of a unicorn if he played in Bobby Orr's era, or do you think he'd be better? I mean, it being special in this day and age is almost more special in a right. It's hard to compare those eras just because of the different rules and the different physicality. If you drop current Kale McCarr into that era, no one would ever lay a hand on him. No, he'd just skate around everyone. But I think Bobby Orr was the same way because Bobby Orr was really the first offensive defenseman to ever step foot on the ice. Right. But you also consider how different things are now with better goalies, better defense and Kale McCarr did it faster Yes. In this day and age, I'm not ma- I'm not making any statements that you should just immediately put Kale McCarr ahead of Bobby Orr on Mount Rushmore. But 
it's a conversation. It's something that is worth saying. Yes, some were saying, and and Miko's at five twenty. So you have to think Miko's probably going to get there as well for a thousand points. You have multiple players on this team that are going to hit a thousand points sleepwalking. Yeah, and I think Landy probably could have gotten there if he doesn't miss three. Probably a little late at this point. Yeah, probably a little late. But overall, crazy record for Kale McCarr to get. And like you said, it it should have been a bigger deal than it was. Like, didn't it feel like that was just kind of like a ho hum thing? <laughs> it's just when when you're talking about Kale McCarr, it's, well, I mean, with I don't want to take this stuff for granted. You just get used to it. Right. It's like, oh, Kale McCarr did this. Kale McCarr did that. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get to the the next thing now. And just with McCarr, you get lost in all the special things. You forget how important each individual one is and how crazy it is that that just happened, that he just broke a Bobby Orr record by six games when faster than any defenseman who has ever done it. Every Mount Rushmore defenseman we've ever talked about, Paul Coffey, Bobby Orr, Nick Lidstrom, he did it faster than all of them, and he did it with his eyes closed, basically lapped them. Yeah, it it is a mind. I'm still at the point where it's like, oh yeah, that is pretty fucking crazy. But I mean, this happens all the time with Kale. So it's just, it's just one of those things you do have to, uh, I mean, look at it. I just tried to skip over this whole conversation by jumping to the third period. And we just spent what, 10 minutes talking about it. So much. So yeah, it's super good for Kale. I I did find it fun. Like I thought the booing of Makar was, was fine. Like I saw some people being like, "This is this is." It's like, no. I mean, like I, I boo. We still boo Matt Duchesne, and he didn't do shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the way I'm at, I mean, I rolled my eyes at the booing and everything. It just kind of felt like an overplayed bit at this point. I mean, you know how I feel about the booing Matt Duchesne thing too. I think that's overplayed too. But, but they're fans, man. Yeah, like, it's like I'm not. I, I, it doesn't bother me. It was just like, uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things where it was. I'm sure Kraken fans feel the same way about how we feel about the booing because when Eberle comes to car he's gonna get booed but the thing is is like the Kraken fan no Jordan Eberle is a good guy and we know Kale McCarr is a good guy and it wasn't meant to be I think that I think the thing that bothers me about it is like Kraken fans are playing up a narrative that isn't real that like Kale McCarr isn't a good person because I've seen a lot of that too where it's just like and when's Kale McCarr gonna get punished for the the hit he lit what was it McCann yeah yeah, the hit he laid on McCann. He, well, he did. He got suspended. He got suspended, and he was never an offender before. And right. He got suspended for a game. Like he, and he's Eberle a pretty wasn't. severe punishment. <laughs> right. And Eberle wasn't punished for Correct. it. There's a little bit of a like mismatch of justice that took place there. So you can kind of understand. I get it. It's funny. You know, now it's just, it's going to be a thing probably for the next at least five years. Whenever they play in Seattle, they're just going to boo Kale McCarr. It's probably just going to become a tradition. At yes. that point, they're not, they're not even going to remember why they're doing it. They're just going to do it because it's a funny little bit. And it's Kale, of it's Kale McCarr, one of the greatest players in the world. Of course, they're going to do it. But it was just the kind of thing is like, he's not even listening to you. He's, he's even in the first period when everyone was playing like shit, Kale McCarr is just dancing around your entire team because he's also healthy now, which he also wasn't in the playoff series last year. Yeah, it, 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 I thought it was funny, but I mean, I, I, I have no problem with the Kraken fan doing it. It's just. It's it, just, it was just very it's funny. Not, that, it's not worth getting bent out of shape about. No, no. But let's actually move on to the third period. Uh, because it, I, like you said, I thought the third period was the best period the Avs played. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't even think it was particularly close. I thought they they dominated the third period. It felt like the roles reversed in the third period all the way from the first. The, 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 the Avs have just done a total 180 from last season, like you were mentioning. The third period 
they locked it down defensively. Like they didn't have a ton of room. Seattle didn't give them a ton of room. And you look at the shots, you look at the scoring chances. It's not as lopsided as you'd think, but they didn't give Seattle anything to work with. They were the team protecting the lead. And this wasn't just a turtle where they're like, we're just, we can't move the puck up up ice anymore. We're just trying to protect the lead. We're just going to dump and chase for 20 minutes. They limited the turnovers. They were cleaning up their own play. And they eventually get rewarded pretty late in the third period. And this team, they've shown a lot of maturity in the, the first four games. They've shown that they have learned a lot of important lessons over the years and just kind of taking care of business at the moment. And that, that's what I, the third period was. They just they took care of business. And I think this goes back to the point we were making earlier uh, when we were talking about this game is the abs have the game breakers that Seattle does. The the goal that Miko Ranton score was his one and only shot of the game. Yeah. He only needs one chance and he gives the abs a three one lead. And you just knew the game was over with what seven, eight minutes left. Like there was yeah. no way the Kraken were scoring twice. I mean, you look at this game as a whole, you look at Ranton and McKinnon and McCarr in this game, they combined had about six shots on goal, which for them is unprecedented. Yeah. The, but... the Kraken did a great job shutting down that line. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of like, oh, McKinnon didn't have a good game against the Kraken. Yeah, this wasn't his best game, but the Kraken's game plan was very clearly lock down Nathan McKinnon. There should never be anyone more than a centimeter away from him at all times. And yeah, that might make it a little difficult to do things sometimes because that was the strategy in the playoff series last year. If you give McKinnon space, he's going to make you pay. And obviously it was the same thing for Rantanen, but they left him alone once and Beautiful play by Sam Gerrard. This beautiful. Dude, we've we've been talking about Sam Gerrard has had a fantastic start to the season, man. Like him, him and the Bull Byron pair may not work, but Sam Gerrard is playing some damn good hockey. I will say this: this Gerrard Byron pairing, I don't, I don't like it, and it's it's not Sam's fault. No, I mean, I, I honestly, I think Bo squeezing his stick a little bit too much. He he looks. I don't. I don't want to say frustrated. He just looks like pent up. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on. He needs one goal. Once he gets that one goal or like nice playmaking play, he's going to be back. But I I think we're both angry. Bo has not looked like the Bo we saw from two years ago. I mean, and I forgot to mention this in the first period that that pairing got destroyed in the first. The the Kraken were taking advantage of them at every turn. They were getting absolutely smoked. Byram was getting skated around. Gerard didn't look particularly good in the first period either. They stabilized much like everything else as the game went on, but those two were getting caved early on. It's just, you don't want to hamper. It's tough because that pairing should work. It should. But I just think. They just don't complement each other. No. And I I don't want to stick Sammy G with Jack. But the way that Manson and Byron play, I think you're going to have to go back to that eventually. I think they're just trying to ease Manson back into it because he's still recovering. But. To get the best out of Bo Byram, I think he has to play with Josh Manson. Yeah, I I have been concerned about the defensive pairs early on this season. If we have to pull any negatives from being four and zero, like you're being picky, but Taze and McCarr have been outstanding. They've Typical. been just completely unflappable. We'll talk more about them later. Gerard and Byram, they have their moments, but I just don't like that pair. And Manson and Jack Johnson is is just too squirrely. Sometimes. Oh, they're every time they're on the ice, it's just oh god, please don't fuck up. And but like that's the thing. When Gerard and Byram aren't playing well, you want to give your third pair more time on the ice. 
And there are times when those two are on the ice where you look at that and go, you cannot even fathom doing that right now at this portion of the game. See, like I wouldn't hate if you're not going to do it, but maybe split up McCarr and Taves and have Byram go up with McCarr. Like that's the thing. Like we Taves and McCarr, you got to figure out everything else around them. I think if that's working, leave it alone and you, you tinker with everything else because th- those two are dynamite together. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. the best D pair in the NHL. And if the other pairs aren't pulling their weight, you figure out what to do with them. You don't right. upset the chemistry of what they're doing. That's fair. I, I just, I want to see Bo get going, but he, even against Chicago, he took what two penalties in the Chicago game, which we'll t- talk about. He just doesn't look like Bo. And I don't know if it's because he's playing with Sammy G, but Sammy G has had his moments where he's looked really good. Yeah, Sam Sam has definitely had his moments where he looks like a better player than he yeah. was last season. A little more consistent, a little more edgy than usual, yeah. like getting into the corners, making some more dangerous plays. And the assist to Miko Rantanen on the goal we're talking about here. Beautiful heads up play, finding Rantanen skating right in there. He looks strong. There are like we know what Sam Gerard is. He's not going to turn into a super elite defenseman overnight, but he looks improved on what he was last year. And a guy who he looks like a good top defense. four defenseman. Yeah, he looks like a great top four defenseman. A guy who knows what it's going to take to help this team win. We forget how young Sam Gerard is still. Yes. Just because he's been around for a long time on this team, like he's, he's 20, 25, 26. He's, 20, he's 25. And this is. <laughs> This is his, I, I can't even count this off the top of my head. Is this his seventh, eighth yeah. season? With he started the, right when he was 18. Yeah, because he only played five games in Nashville before he got traded here that season yep. in 2017 in the Matt Duchesne trade. Like, think about that. He was, what, 18, 19 when that trade went down? Like, yeah, he's been here for a long time. Usually when a guy's here for seven, eight years, they're like in their 30s. He's 25. Yeah. He's still got a long way to go. And it, it's just, I don't want to like because i don't think sam gerard's played bad enough they stick him with jack johnson i think if you do that you're limiting what sam gerard's done right but, like you did some you got to stick someone with jack johnson and if you're not going to do that then you need to call up caleb jones you made a trade for caleb jones right. and you have to figure out something to do with that i don't think jack johnson's been horrible no no he's not been but it's just one of those things where if you put bo or sam with him you're not going to get the best out of those two players right and you have to find a way to make it work because perfect scenario here is those two just gel Gerard and Byram just gel together. They figure it out and they become a really strong second pair, but we've done this time and time again. And outside of the occasions where they're all right, the conclusion most of the time is there's just not a fit here. Like they, they play. I don't want to say they play too. I don't even want to say too similar because they don't really, it just seems like they don't have chemistry. Like they play similar, but not close enough where they're on the same page. If that well, yeah, I mean, a perfect example I think was in that first period where Bo goes with a guy in the corner and Sam just loses his guy right in front of the net. Like that—that's just you got to be able to talk about what's going on there. I don't know which player made the wrong read on that play, but there was a guy wide open in front of the net, and luckily uh, Georgiev was able to bail him out. But I—I don't know. I want this pairing to work because on paper it, it looks fucking awesome. But Bo is – I haven't been impressed with Bo so far in these first four games. And I know he'll turn it around. He will. It's yeah. just 
he seems like he's not playing with the confidence that he was playing with. Yeah, like with the first four games of the season, both good and bad, you do have to put it in the context of a four-game stretch. Like, yeah, this is the only sample size we have to work with. But like, if Bo had a bad four games in January, would we even care? No. No. Like, this, no. Is, just, this is just all we have to work with right now so far in the early season is that he's – of all the players who have been really good to start the season, Bo has not been one of them. And – Granted, this whole conversation stemming from Sam Gerrard making a fantastic play to set up a game-breaking goal that just totally put this game away for the Avs in the third period. But you'd like to see a little more of that from Bo, too. Yeah, sorry, I just my, my face went that way. Sorokin just absolutely robbed Jack Hughes. Holy shit, <laughs> what a save. Um, but yeah, I mean, that you get the 3-1 lead. Sammy G makes that great play to Miko Rantanen. You're up 3-1. The game was over. And... You you get the empty net. I, I don't know. You were right. There were a lot of penalties in this game. I forgot it went four on four. Who took that? Was it Bo who took the four on four? Was it that one where he got called for interference and McCann got called for tripping? Is I'm, that how we got to that four on four? I think man, so. I wish I could find any of this crap for you, but NHL is just such. Yeah, a- no, I, I think oh, that's yeah. what it was. And then Bo gets- Byram tripped, or no, McCann tripped Byram and Byram interfered with McCann, which. Yeah. That's a it weird was just, combination. It was weird. But yeah, uh, but basically yeah and they also, the on, on the shorthanded goal, they had that ridiculous interference call on Nathan yes. McKinnon. Yanni Gord skates right in front of him, and they just expect McKinnon to stop on ice like he's a car. Yeah, I just love that reaction because it was like Gord was like, yeah, that's not a penalty. But I'll yeah, Gord it. was like, that was not a fucking penalty. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that it. My, that was all my fault. Yeah. So and then Val gets the empty netter to give the abs a 4-1 win. I think my biggest takeaway so far early in the season for the abs is I don't think they've even come close to playing their best, but they're still, they're still finding ways to win. I think the word we're looking for is maturity. We've seen a a lot of maturity out of this team so far in the first four games of the season. And we've had bad starts the season before. And our advice has always been tempering and been like, it's early in the season, everything like that. You do kind of have to do the same with this where this is the first four games of the year. Your toughest game was your first game against the Kings, who are a good team, and you found a way to win against them, even when it looked like it was getting tough. And then against the Sharks, that's another game I think this team would have lost last year, where they just probably been like, oh, yeah, our night. And then against the Kraken, that's a game where they took care of business in that game. They look at the playoff series last year. I don't need to remind anyone of that. They gave up the first goal again in this game, and they still found a way to keep battling back and they just kept coming and they figured it out. They had the depth to figure it out. And Georgiev again, we're, I'm, we're going to talk about Georgiev in depth probably later on in this episode, because it's unbelievable how good he has been, but he, this team is figuring out what it takes to win on a nightly basis, which is crazy to say about a Stanley cup winning team that went 16 and four on that entire run. But at the same time, there there have been issues over the last couple of seasons when it comes to third periods and closing things out and figuring out certain things. And in these first four games, they have a different aura about them. And we've said it really since the preseason started. Like this team has a little bit of a different stride in the way they walk. Like they learned a lot of lessons against the Kraken last year in the playoffs. And now they have the reinforcements to back them up. And they have the systems that work. 
and they're a year more mature now as well with uh, a little bit of a humbling in the playoffs last year. Like I'm kind of rambling right now, I know, but they're really showing a lot more that they do have what it takes. Yeah. And I, I think just the biggest thing my takeaway from it is if, if this was happening last year, they're two and two. Uh, like that, that, there's there's no way they're four and no even in the cup here at the start of the year they'd be two and two right yeah now. like they're they're finding ways to win and that's what's been the most encouraging to me because you look at these games and it's like yeah they played good but they haven't nearly reached the potential we think they can get to and they're still finding ways to win and i, I think that's going to come up very very large for them later on in the season because we know nathan mckinnon and miko ranch are going to do their thing but Wait until uh, Ryan Johansson, Meek, or Val and Lecky get going as a line. We saw what the new look third line, once that gets going, the fourth line ever since Cogliano's come back looks like a completely different line. So I'm really encouraged by this. I'm going to take wins, but it's stuff we talked about, I feel like, before the season even started. Like, if this team starts 500, we're okay with that. And they're already 4 0. They're two wins away from uh, matching their best start in franchise history. So I feel good in the fact that I know this team can play better and I think they know they can play better. Yeah. And even just continuing on that point, you just had about like, you know, the stars are going to do their thing. The stars, they had a rough night against Seattle. Like I'd say outside, like McKinnon had a tough night because he was being matched up with all night. Rantanen had a guy on him all night. McCarr I'd say was the only one that looked like consistently, like he could just do whatever he wants because he's Kale McCarr. And in the playoffs last year and in the regular season last year, automatic loss like he's like your stars got locked up and there's not a lot of other people on this team that are going to step up and do anything for you what happened in this game you get a beautiful puck dug out on the boards by lecky and val they set each other up on a beautiful play you get a shorthanded goal from logan o'connor and you you got one from your stars you got one from miko ranton and on a beautiful setup because they left him alone once when you have that kind of skill that's all it takes all you need is one chance and then you have the empty netter from Val, which is just an empty netter, but he he bullied Berkey on this goal. Like yes. he's battling for him along the boards. He's he pushes him aside like he's a child and throws that puck into the empty net from the defensive zone. Had Berkey smashing his stick on the bench because he knows he just got embarrassed, kind of thing. Yeah. Like oh, also, this is news. Uh Callahan Burke is going to uh play against the Avs tomorrow night. He got called up on an emergency basis. That's not weird at all. Yeah. He's going to play against the Avs and then probably get sent back down and play for the Eagles in a few days. Yes. So I just saw that pop up on my Twitter feed. So Callahan Burke. I, mean, I, I, I guess that makes sense. Like they don't have to fly him out. Correct. Can you imagine meeting your new team, like walking across locker rooms, meeting a new team, playing with them, and then walking back across. Yeah. What's up, guys? I'm going to go head back up to uh, yeah. college. I'm going to go back to play for my team now, but thanks for the paycheck. Thanks for the paycheck. So, yeah, I mean, you go into Seattle, you get the big win, and that sets up the game against Chicago, the home opener. Um, Before the game even got started, I have to go on a little tirade. Um, I was very upset on on this game night, right? So you know me. I have my season tickets. I have my parking pass, right? Mm -hmm. You know the parking Mm -hmm. lot we get to park in? I think they oversold it this year and I got there 20 minutes before puck drop and there was legitimately no parking spots open. So I had to park in the lot that I don't pay to park in. So I was very upset to start because 
I pay extra money for that parking spot. I should get that fucking parking spot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that was how the whole thing started. Um, and then they, did they do this at Capital One Arena? Uh, the new like way you can walk in. They don't have the metal detectors anymore. You yeah, literally just walk they through. Did I got, that. It was also that was crazy. 40, dude. It was also a 45 minute line to get into the, the stadium when I went, but oh, yeah, see, anyway. it wasn't a, the abs one actually moved very quick. I was surprised. Imagine that competence. Anyway. Yeah. I was like, this is crazy. Um, so you get up there and the pregame introductions start. And I was not expecting to feel as sad as I was than when they showed Gabriel Landeskog there. And I was like, fuck man. This I miss him. <laughs> like I miss watching Gabe Landeskog play, and he got the loudest ovation of anyone. And that was it was super cool to see them still like be like your captain Gabriel Landeskog, but just to see him in a suit, and you're like, I miss watching this guy play fucking hockey because he's a dog, dude. Like he is, he is the best. So it was pretty cool. The pregame ceremony is always fun to see them when they do that. I obviously cheered the loudest for Curtis, but uh, other than that, man, it was ho hum. And then the game got kicked off or puck dropped and it was just an ass kicking from. Yeah. Puck. We probably don't need to go through this period by period kind of thing. Like we did against the Kraken, the Blackhawks, I think had a solid first 10 minutes of the game where yes. he outshot the abs by a little bit, uh, pretty much since the stop on Nick Foligno by Georgiev on the breakaway, uh, the abs pounded them into dust. They completely obliterated this poor team. <laughs> Hey everybody, hope you've been enjoying this episode so far, interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor at DraftKings Sportsbook. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games, and who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets when you sign up. Best of all, nobody's going to be missing out on any of the actions this season because all DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. So what are you waiting for? Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code THPN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Now, back to the episode. I think Raj said it perfectly. Like, you can tell the talent gap between these. these yeah, two. Raj said that after the first period, too. Yeah. Like, it, it was really clear that there is a long way to go for the Chicago yes. Blackhawks. And this was a get-right game for some guys on this team. And... Yes. We can start with the first goal of the game by the man of the hour, Logan O'Connor, with his back-to-back game-winning goals, man. Yep, second. I didn't even think about the game-winning goal thing. Yep. Second shorthanded goal in as many games. Second game-winning goal in as many games. Just second goal in as many games, which for Logan O'Connor might as well be the Rocket Richard. And again, just a, a nice breakaway, just a beautiful heads-up play. Cogliano and Manson get the assists, and he puts a beautiful shot on Peter Morazic. <laughs> like has, has Logan O'Connor figured out his shot? We've always joked, man, if Logan O'Connor could develop a shot and get 10 goals a year, he's going to play in this league. For yes, a it doesn't even time. have to be a good shot. Just no. a shot at all. If he develops a shot, this guy's potting 15 goals. Yeah, he's. it's funny because I feel like we go through this every year with Logan O'Connor where we're in this hotspot. He probably will not score again for what, like 
Well, he's he's still got a little bit left of the hot streak to start. Okay. It's early November. This thing dries up. After that, then we can maybe count him out probably until February or so. Yeah, probably. But I'd say once we get to mid, I'll give him mid-November. This okay. Time. All right. All right. But yeah, but it was it's, all, it's, it's not even just the goals. It's the heads up plays on both shorthanded goals to get out ahead of the play, receive the puck and everything, burst of speed and the shot and everything else he's doing. I mean, even if Logan Connor did not have two goals, I would come on here and say that I've been extremely impressed with Logan O'Connor. The thing is, he's playing where he's supposed to be playing in the fourth line. Like that, that is where Logan O'Connor and Andrew Cagliano thrive is in that fourth line. They aren't expected to go out and do a ton. So when they do do something, you're like, yeah, let's fucking go, boys. And their their play style just meshes so well. And I think Frederick Olsson has been good. But once he starts to develop a little bit more chemistry with Cagliano and O'Connor, I think we're going to see the fourth line that we saw in the cup year where it's like this fourth line can go out there. They can annoy the fuck out of you and they'll be able to chip in a goal every once in a while. Yeah. Freddie Olofsson has been a nice addition to the fourth line. He's, he's fit in very nicely between them. I think he's definitely going to get better as the season goes on. I mean, this isn't a guy who's played a ton of NHL minutes, even though he's not much of a kid anymore at this point in his career, this guy's not going to score a lot on the team, but he's looked good. I've liked him. He's doing some right things. I've, don't think he looked good in Seattle, but against Chicago, he looked fine enough. I mean, my expectations for an interchangeable fourth line center are kind of low. And if he kind of stagnates for most of the season, I imagine they might upgrade by the trade deadline if they have the assets for it. But if you run into the playoffs with Olofsson, I don't think it's a problem. No, I don't think so either. He he looks he looks competent out there, and that's all we need out of a fourth line center is just to be competent and play good, solid defense hockey, and that's, that's what he's done. So... I like that fourth line, Cagliano O'Connor. If those two can stay healthy all year, that's a dangerous fourth line, which is what they didn't like they, have. They just look like competent. Like that's the the great word for it. They're more than competent. Like they're kind of dominating when they go yes. out there. I mean, in this game against Chicago, they controlled eighty percent of the shot attempts. Yes. Like they're they're driving play for the most part. They're keeping other teams off of the board, and they're doing exactly what you want a fourth line to do, which is not suck. You just want yeah. them to go out there. <laughs> And just be annoying. If you can pot a goal once every five or so games, awesome. But like no one's expecting that of you. Just go out there, be a nuisance, and just don't do anything dumb. Correct. And that's what they've done. And they were great in the Chicago game. Like you said, Logan Connor gets the first goal. Uh, and then after, I think it was about like, yeah, after the Felino shot, the Avs took over. Like at one point they were losing the shots and then you look up and it's like, oh, it's 23 to 8. Yeah, shots. like at a certain point, the Avs, after being outshot, outshot them by like almost 30. Yeah, it was that end of the first period. It was like, this is fun. I like coming to the games like this. They are kicking the shit out of Chicago. Yeah, like um, it, the, the first period, what was it? Like it was 8-7 in shots for the Blackhawks at one point. I want to say, does that sound right? Yes. Yes. And the, the first period finished 22 to eight for the abs. Yes. And it didn't get much better for the Hawks after that still. No. Uh, did Johansson score in the first period or was it the second yes. period? That was, was still the first period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if there's another critique you could have of this abs team, their penalty kills looked awesome. The power play has looked okay. Um, I thought this was their best game. Uh, granted it's against Chicago, but I thought they were moving the puck really well. And uh, Johansson gets his first goal as a member of the abs it was a typical ryan johansson goal yeah he's, right. he's he's parked out in front of the net takes advantage of a loose puck and buries it and that that's something this power play was missing 
last yes. year a little bit. A lot of their power play goals, one-timer from McKinnon or Rantanen, maybe a deflection from Leckie or a shot from Kale at the point. Not a lot of cleanup duty. Yeah, just a greasy goal. The net. Like just the kind of thing that they were missing last year that hopefully the addition of Ryan Johansson is going to add to this team. And I think he needed that because I didn't love him in the first three games. I mean, I didn't think he was a stud in this game either, but he pots the goal on the power play. It just there, there have been times where he just has not looked up to speed with everyone else quite yet, but the power play is where he's going to make his money on this yes. team. We saw it in the preseason in the bumper slot. And if he can just sit down there on the power play, deflect some pucks, get some in the bumper slot and clean up some rebounds, he's going to make his money's worth on this yes. team. And we'll see how the speed works out for the rest of the season. Cause I, I do have a little concern about that. Now that we're four games in this team is very based off of being faster than everyone. And I, I don't know if Ryan Johansson's going to fit that mold, but I liked him in this game and it yes. is four games into the season and there are 78 of them left. And I imagine Ryan Johansson getting used to a new team is going to look much different when we hit like game 30 than game Correct. four. I'm not saying this is a problem. I'm just saying, I imagine he's going to get better. Yeah. man. I think that same thing, you get that first goal off your, like that monkey off your back and he's yeah. he's going to get rolling now. Yeah, now, now you don't have to think about it. Now you don't have a goose egg on the board. Now you have a goal and now you think you can get another. It's yeah. Sometimes it's literally just that easy. There's no mental gymnastics that have to go in it. You got a goal, you can get more. Get more. So greasy goal, gets his first, abs up 2 nothing. And I don't know about you, I, I thought the game was over. Once yeah, no, the game was over. The second <laughs> the, 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 the second the shorthanded goal went in, the game was over. Yeah. Because, I mean, the Blackhawks had the momentum after the save on Felino. They had the power play for the delay a game on Bo. Yes. Put them in the box. But then after that, like, the Avs just stomped on their neck for yeah. the rest of this game. And the Blackhawks are a young team. Then this is the kind of game where it's all about what you get from it. You only lose if you don't learn from this game yes. if you're the Chicago Blackhawks. For Connor Bedard, we can kind of skip around here a little bit. He finished the game with zero shots. And did kind not... of funny what happens when you go up against Kale McCarr and Devon Daves. Yeah, this isn't the this isn't the WHL, <laughs> and it's the kind of thing where pretty much there's no one taking shifts off in the NHL. The kind of thing like he's getting crunched between Colton and Wood in the <laughs> first period and knocked to the ice. You can tell he's getting up and looking around like Jesus. Fucking oh, Christ, I, <laughs> there's still. I still coming. think he's going to be a phenomenal player, but oh, it was he just, is. It, it's just funny when. You can tell that like Kale McCarr and Devon Tapes were like, yeah, this dude's not going to do shit against us tonight. And he didn't do shit against yeah. them today. It's like, yeah, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ranson, Kale McCarr, Devon Tapes, Val Nachushkin, like the, these lineup of studs. They're like, oh, that's adorable. Yeah. Connor Medard is going to come into our building tonight and embarrass yeah. us, an 18 year old. And again, he made one cool play. I remember it was in the first period. He made a sick back pass to, uh, to, uh, one of the defensemen and then just shot it right into Gary's chest. But I was like, ah, that was a good play. Yeah. He's going to get better. He's still going to be a stud, but it was just like. Again, emphasize 18-year-old yeah. kid who is under a microscope right now by the rest of the league. How annoying was the ESPN broadcast just talking about him the entire time? Uh, I'm not sure we played in that game, according <laughs> to him. I will put it like that. Also, I've seen a lot of the annoyance with all of the Connor Bedard stuff. My annoyance with it is let the 18-year-old play and get used to the NHL. Yes. I don't have a problem with marketing your new superstar. No. 
That one, I think it's great. that one I don't have a problem with, but I also want them to leave him alone a little bit. Cause honestly, I kind of like the kid. He's I do too. He's, I hate that he plays for Chicago, but he, he seems like a good kid and I yeah. want him to succeed because it's good for the game. That's what I mean. Like he seems like a true, genuine, nice kid who can actually handle the media for an 18 yes. year old kid always gives the right answers and is always out there genuinely trying. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. I think he's a great kid. And this is a game for him where it's like, yeah, you beat Pittsburgh, you beat Toronto, but it's like their coach said after the game, the abs are a whole different animal from any other team where they have everything. That is what Luke Richardson said after the game, by the way. I loved what Bednar said about him. I think Jesse asked him and he goes, have you thought about Connor Bedard? He goes, no, I haven't even, haven't even thought about yeah, it. Like, what, Jesse, what, did, what, did, what did Jesse ask? Like, if you guys watch film on Connor Bedard, he's like, no, no, we have not watched <laughs> anything on Connor Bedard, Jesse. <laughs> so, oh, I love, I love Jared Benner. You didn't hear this because you were at the game, obviously, but I, I love when they interview him during the game. Cause he actually answers the question. They ask really? him like, Oh, what, what have you thought about this? And he gives like a full detailed in-depth answer i'm like yeah i haven't liked our turnovers here but i've liked our, our shift in momentum here we're doing this we're trying to do that like he actually gives them the time of day which it does get kind of annoying other coaches sometimes when they just like completely dismiss this person next to them and they're just like i'm trying to focus here yeah it was great go away like bednard is just such a cool genuine guy like he understands everyone's just trying to do their job yeah he's just a good dude he got a really loud 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 cheer when they, uh, they announced him at the pregame, but Good. yeah, he's, he's the best coach. So yeah, it was two nothing at the end of uh first period, second period, Val makes a beautiful, beautiful passing play to Devon Taves. Like play. that is, that was one of those plays where it's like, Oh, these dudes have played together a lot. Like that play doesn't happen if these guys haven't played years. Well, together. The, the, the other thing I love about that play is like, it's not just Devon Taves and Val Nachushkin. It's Colton setting the screen in front of them. Like this is, almost as close to like a Harlem Globetrotter play as you're <laughs> going to see in the NHL. It's just a beautiful play by Devontae's to, to set this whole thing up and the beautiful pass from Val for the wide open net also set up by Ross Colton with such a good screen that Morazic was complaining about it for goalie interference it and, no had idea. No, and had no case. He had no idea where the puck was because all he's seeing is Ross Colton's ass. Well, and we skipped over this part too, because I saw your little, uh, I saw this trending on Twitter when I was at the game, and I, I it drives me crazy that they do this at Ball Arena. The previous play, the Avs looked like they had scored, but it was just a microscopic hair off sides. Oh, yeah, that's um, true. I thought this came after that for some reason. but Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I was just like, I'm sitting there, and like Ball Arena does not show any replays of it. Like, you don't get to see a clear replay, and apparently everyone was like, yeah, it was off sides. And it's just like, well, I wish I could have seen it because I, I have no judgment of it. But um, we kind of talked about it earlier – the Avs moved Jonathan Drew and back up to the top line. And then halfway through the game, they switched out Thomas Tatar and Drew ran. And I thought Duran looked better on this third line, man. And, and I thought Tatar looked better on the top line. He did. And that's not a bad thing. I, I, yeah. I think it's better for Duran. But he makes just a beautiful pass to Miles Wood on this goal that gets called back for offsides. That's the Jonathan Duran that we expect to see. And it gets called back for offsides. And... I'm of the mindset where it's like, 
if you can challenge it, I, I think it's a fair thing. Cause if it's offsides, it's offsides. The only people we have to blame for this is Matt Duchesne. Because if Matt right. Duchesne doesn't score that goal against Nashville, that's that's why ago, we that's why we boo Matt Duchesne, not because right. of the, the picture day thing. It's because he fucking ruined the league with that yeah. ridiculous and, thing. I mean, I'm I'm of the mindset where it's like if it's offsides, it's offsides, call it back. Like it's it's one of those things. But See, I get your point where you're like, if you can't catch it in real time. So my my problem with it is you obviously don't want people just standing off sides, like clearly getting an advantage. My problem with this is there is no advantage on this play. It is such a microscopic thing. It's a pass. He's passing to the guy next to him who just so happens to get in like a microsecond before the puck gets in the zone. Like it's just such a nothing play. And you have like two people whose entire job it is to determine that this is offside or not. And if it, if you really can't tell in the moment how much of an advantage is really being gained there, it just felt like such a ticky-tacky way to take a goal off the board and just ruins a moment of Jonathan Druin having a beautiful play and setting up Miles Wood. Not that that's the point, but I don't know. Like they, It bothers me. Yeah, it was well. I, I get why they do it. it it's just yeah, I, I get I get why they do it. Like I, I try to get over offside stuff sometimes, but I really have over the last couple of years really warmed up to the idea that like you don't need to review this. You really yeah. Don't. They get and the thing they is get now is like I feel like they're it's more of a rarity if the challenge isn't successful, right? Because it it really feels like the moment it's challenged, you know. You have right. you have five video coaches up there watching the film, being like, "Yeah, it's offsides. Challenge it." Actually, uh, the Caps got one wrong the other day. So, oh really? Oh yeah, I did watch that. I should have. Yeah, known. They, now that I remember, I've blocked out most of this early season <laughs> from my memory. But it just feels like such a, a waste of time. It just feels incredibly lame, and there's no advantage on that. It's not cheating. It's not doing anything. I know you got to draw the line somewhere, but like if he was a mile offsides, sure, but. If you really can't tell the difference in real time and we have to stop the game for five minutes, granted it was a pretty quick review this time, but very quick. If you got to stop the game and look at it and zoom in and be like, that's offside by about a centimeter. It's just, are we not wasting our time here? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it it is one of those, but I, to go back to the point, I really like Drew on that third line and it's nothing against Jonathan Drew. I think his playmaking skills are capable of being on the first line level, but Right now, he's going up against the other team's best defensive pair, going up against right. McKinnon and Rantanen. And I I think for him, he needs to get some confidence first. Go play on that third line with Colton and Wood, who are dogs. They're going to crash net, and you just have to find them. I think that works better for him now. And the thing is, is like you said, Tatar looked really good on that top line. Yeah. And we need to get Tatar going. So I kind of like it. I, I imagine that's what's going to be tomorrow against Carolina is Tatar's going to start on that top line. But I that Drew Ann, I know it was a very small sample size for like maybe half the game, but that third line with him on it looked a lot better. It's, it's, it's like you said, where he's not going up against top competition. I just think he fits better with yeah. Wood and Colton. I think he brings another aspect to that line that they're missing, where they have a guy who can go and dish the puck while they go and be a bunch of water bug pests and right. can go clean up in front of the net. Tatar is like, he's fine on the third line, but it just kind of feels like he's more of a passenger on that line for what he's trying to do. And I 
feel like you can get away with Tatar on the top line yes. and not because I think ultimately they want Lekkonen on the top line, but they yeah. also want to spread out the talent of this team. That one of the other things from that interview that you didn't hear because you were at the game is Bednar describes what he likes on the top line. And he's describing Val and he's describing Lecky guys who dig out pucks on the boards, guys who work hard, like just the stereotypical Lekin and Nachushkin player. Obviously they want that, but they want to spread out the talent. And I don't know. And again, Tatar looked good on the top line. He didn't look perfect, but he does have that beautiful setup to McKinnon to make it four, nothing in the third period. And just, it felt like it got a little bit of a boost out of both of them. And for Duran, I think that's important more so. Yeah, I mean, the thing was, is like, it, it almost seems like when Duran's playing with McKinnon and Rantanen, he's holding the stick a little bit tighter. Right, there's a lot like, of pressure. Lot there's of- a lot of pressure playing up there. And once he got on that third line, he was like, oh, I can just play the way I want to play with these two guys. And he looked so much better. Tatar looked like the player that we signed and what he hoped he could be. This could end up being a best case scenario if if this works. Because Drouin is still going to chip in because the third line kicks ass with Wood and Colt. Like, they kick ass. And you add a playmaker like Jonathan Drouin into that line, I think it's really going to help that line score more, too. Yeah, like it just it felt like Tatar had more space, Duran had more space. And even they obviously had the, the assist taken away, but in the third line, like, they just looked like they were working really well together in the third period. I don't know. I, I we talked about this in the off season. Yeah, I like Drouin on that third line more. I do too. It just it, it makes more sense. And it's not like he was playing bad on the top line. It was just it wasn't great. It, it it's just he's he's not a top line player. It's it it felt like he was out of his league. Where yeah. yet you're going with McKinnon and Rantanen. Like yeah, you don't have to be them, but you are going up against, especially on the road. You're going up against line matching, and they're throwing out their best to try and stop you. And they're going to pick on the weakest link. I don't think there's any argument that Jonathan Drouin on the top line is the weakest link. And he's... A lot of people will be the weakest link on that line. <laughs> yeah, there's probably like maybe four players on earth who wouldn't be the, the weakest link on that line. And I think most of them are on the team. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all know that when this team gets in a pinch, you know, Arturi Lekkinen's going up to that top line. Yeah, but I, I, I imagine when they get to the playoffs, it's probably going to be Lekkinen on that yeah. top line, regardless. I mean... If Tatar works out in the top six, I think that's great. But if he doesn't and is better suited for the third line, I, I would be shocked if you get towards the deadline and they're making another move at forward just to have more complementary pieces on the left wing so they're not forced to throw either of them up there. But I think you can put Drouin on the top line. I don't think it's a total failure if you do. But it just seems like he's more comfortable on the third line and Tatar is working better with better playmakers. Yes, yes. I think you get the best out of both players if you do this. So we'll have to see. This all could be a mute point when we talk uh, on our next episode and maybe they get their skulls caved in by Carolina on Saturday. But until then, it works right now. Uh, but like you said, McKinnon gets the fourth final goal. This game could have been like 7 nothing. Peter Morazic actually played very well in this game. This is what the Sharks game should have been. Yeah. Like, like this, this was the abs beating up on a bad hockey team and Morazic had a 902 instead of a 980. Yeah. He, he, he was very good in the first period. This game could have easily gotten way more out of hand. Um, but I thought this was the most complete game that the ads have played. And granted it's against Chicago. That's, these are ones you can build off of. Yeah. 
you did exactly what you were supposed to do. They outshot Chicago in this game, 41 to 18. They shut them out. They held Bedard to, I didn't even realize it was not only zero shots, it was zero shot attempts entirely. They held Bedard off the board completely. If this was a, a four to three win where you squeak by, you know, yeah, it's two points, but you don't feel great about it. Like for your home opener, you ran this team into the ground. You dominated them in every conceivable way. You get out of it unscathed. There's really not much you can take away from this other than the abs are good and the Hawks are not. And even like, even the defense in this game, like they took this game seriously. Like they did not take this game off or anything. And the Hawks are just that bad. They, they clearly tried to win this game and it just seemed like their, their systems were working and they got everything done that they needed to. They got everything done. And my favorite stat, I forget which one of the reporters tweeted it out for the abs. Bo Byram leads the team in five on five ice time. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to get to next is that the, through the first four games, they've been able to really spread out their minutes. And Kale McCarr so far has only had to play more than 25 minutes once so far this season. <laughs> that's a rarity compared right. to where it was last year. We were at 30 last year on the regular. Like he played, he still played 24-52 in this game, but Taze is down to 21. Byram's at 17. Gerard played 20 minutes. Like they're able to spread out a lot more of the even strength minutes and Bo Byram for as much as we're talking about him is leading the team at even strength time on ice. Which means once he gets going, this team's going to really get going. And right. he will. Like, clearly he's not been bad enough for coach Benard to not trust him. Right. He's still getting, it's just, we have such high expectations for Bo that we're like, eh, maybe he's not playing, but he will get going. Trust me. Yeah. He's, go- he's going to get going. I'm not worried about that. Not one bit. And then, yeah. The elephant in the room that we've just been kind of putting off talking about in this game, Alex Georgiev has been the best goalie in the league to start the season through the first four games. It's not even close either. It's not. It really isn't. You look at what he's done so far to start this season. He is a 965. He's 4-0. His goals against average is under one. He's at a 9-8 currently right now. And so far he's faced, I want to say, Oh, like well over a hundred shots at this point. He's faced 113 shots and he has allowed four goals. Yeah, don't let me do math. I already fucked up the one stat that I was supposed to fuck up. Four goals. So he's played four games and allowed four goals and has a 965 to start the season. I've noticed over the last like since like about the halfway point of last year when Georgiev has been really good in this offseason, we've been kind of shy and been like, Yeah, I think Georgiev's a top 10 goalie in the world. I think we can shed that too. Alex Georgiev is one of the best on the planet. Right now, yes. Right now. I mean, he's, he he was fringe top 10 going into the year. I don't even think it's a question he's top 10 now. like It's not, this it's is, not a question at all. I'm, I'm arguing top five. I, I like that. Top five is, is bold. Um, Who's better? We, I like it. it. It's Well, you got Chesterkin, Sorokin. I'll still take Vasilevsky. Soros. Hellebuck, okay. Hellbuck. Yeah, I mean, it's French top five. He, he's for sure in the he's top in that five. conversation. Yeah, he's in that conversation without. And if he keeps doing what he's been doing this year, it's not even a question where he's going to be. He's going to be in the top five. So uh, I've been just you keep waiting for him to regress because he's still very unproven. But I don't think that regression's coming. I think he's just getting better. Right. It's not, I really don't think it's going to happen because there really hasn't been any sign of it. They're like, oh, he's playing above his level or it's the abs defense saving him. He's covered up a couple of problems on yes. this. 
to start the season where if Georgiev is not having the games that he has probably talking about best case scenario, a three and one team and giving up more goals. The penalty kill is not perfect. Like it is right now. There's a lot more things we're talking about. Like, oh, they got to do this and that, but because you have a goalie who's playing at an unbelievable level to start the season, like, yeah, it's four games in, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but it does doing this last year. Yeah. Yeah. He's better than he was last year. It's, like, he, had to, like, it's yeah. crazy. It's, I, I think Bednar said it best. He was like, the reason why our penalty kill has been so good is our best penalty killer has been the goalie. Yeah. And easy. It, it's, I, I just keep waiting for him to have a bad game. And I, it, like, even last year, like, he didn't have that many bad games and he played 63 of them. Like it's just he continues you, you to impress. Probably, you could probably count on one hand where you're like, yeah, Georgiev wasn't very good tonight. And if he's continuing this into the season, like let, let's also be real, the Blackhawks shut out. He faced 18 shots. It was probably one of the easiest nights of his career. But the Sharks game was not easy. Like yeah, he gave up one goal. He kept the team in it beyond that point. Had a solid game against the Kings and against the Kraken. Genuinely phenomenal genuinely just an outstanding game from Alex Georgiev. They're getting this kind of goaltending in front of this team. They're going to win a lot of hockey games this year. Yes. An uncomfortably lot of hockey games this year. I don't know why I was, I don't even know what I was trying to say there. I just, my brain froze up, but he's, he's been very good. He's going to win the first star probably of the week because just what he's done. And considering what we've now know about what's going on with Frankie, he's going to have to continue this. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that we'll have to talk about too, is like we've gotten a half C update on Frankie at this point, And it's not good. No, it's if anything, it's, it's not as bad as him being ruled out for the season, but it's like basically it is as bad as it can be without that, where, Bednar basically said he's out until I get noticed that he's even close to coming back, which is not very encouraging language. No, it just what happened, dude? Like, what what does Frankie do at home that he gets get, gets these freak I injuries? I don't know. This is what I was saying in the offseason. Like, what happens to this guy? Like, I know he had surgery in the offseason, right? Like, we we know that. Yes. And it's okay. So there's that. What happened where he just showed up to the team facility in pieces? Well, because remember, he he was skating with the team at like before training camp started. And then all of a sudden it was like, nope, he's back out. Yeah, it's like, oh, he might be back for the season opener. Like now we're wondering, like, is Frankie going to be back this season? Will he ever play another game for the Colorado Avalanche? Right, like because that that's basically what they were asking Bednar. And he did not give them an answer. He said, if I know he's coming back again... I I love the way he he worded this because it just he's out until I get noticed that he's even close yeah. to coming back. We are not seeing this man for a long time, yeah. if ever again. Yeah, that's a bummer, man. It's a bummer. So I I think that ship sailed. I'm glad they went and got Prosvit. Is it Prosvitov or Prosvitov? Either one. I say Prosvitov, yeah. but yeah, but he, he, yeah. It's a good thing they went and got him because, uh, yeah, I, I still think they may make a move to get another goalie if depending on what happens with Georgiev. But man, this uh, this Frankie news is a bummer, man. Like, I that's more just a bummer because Frankie is the most probably beloved goaltender 
in Colorado right now, even though Yuriev's doing those things just because Frankie's a personable guy. So I hope it's not the end, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, like I, it's going to be a long time. I'm glad they at least covered some of their bases and got Prosbatov already. They're probably going to be putting Adonin in the backup role for now. Yes. It seems like it's good that you at least have options and that they've tried to address it. But Remember yeah. when we were saying we want your gift to play like 55 games? That's yeah, not that happening. happening. We're already at four, four games into the season. He's played 100%. And he's going to play again today by the time you're listening to this. He's and... gonna, I imagine he'll play the Hurricanes. Correct. So, I mean, it's just, what are you going to do, man? What are you going to do? But I think that's pretty much it for the Avs news. Um, yeah. Good two games. Round the league roundup. Um, Vegas is still undefeated. Their TV network is weird, but it'll get better, I imagine. Uh, Florida beat Tampa. And what were your thoughts on? Oh, Toronto. hang on. Toronto, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Florida beat Toronto, right? Yes. Yeah. Then uh, Did you like the the we still want Florida thing? I thought that was just kind of I like. That was, I thought that was hilarious. I was like, you already beat them, man. Like, it's, it's okay. Well, yeah, that's exactly. You fucking swept them in five or swept them in five. I'm contradicting my own. Gentleman sweep. Them, gentleman sweep. You beat them in five and they beat them in this game again. And the Leafs didn't really do anything about it. After all the offseason, we got Reeves. We got Bertuzzi. We got Domi. We're going to, no one's going to do that to us again. And they, they, someone boarded Nylander into the boards and almost broke his neck too. And they didn't do anything about it. Like, it's, it's the same Leafs team. They're all talking, they, except now they just have Reeves taking all the media attention yeah. from them. There was but, one more thing about Avs I wanted to talk about, and it seems to be dividing the fan base a little bit. It appears that all the small things has not going to be played when the Avs are winning at home. And I put out a tweet last night, and there were a lot more replies to it than I thought there were going to be, with people being like, oh, it's a good thing, like it's a new team. And then there were also the ones that were like, no, we miss it. And my thing with it is I think it's fun. I enjoy getting to do it. I think it's a good thing for the fans, but also I see the point of it where it's like, yeah, that was two years ago. I mean, I think if you're – you should probably say something if you're not going to do it anymore. I feel like right. I feel like it's the kind of thing where you shouldn't just let it go gently into the night because you're going to have people upset that you're not doing it and just if you just never acknowledge it again. But we also like – they might have forgot. Like, did- Well, the thing I found out too, this is the detectives on the internet, appreciate it. The normal DJ has been out of the country for oh, the first, see? like during the preseason and all that stuff. So I'm like, the detectives are figuring this out. Right. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like, I think it's a fun thing but for the fans I, to do. I think it's what the abs fans are known for at this point. Yeah, it's our thing. But like my thing about that is like no one left a note. <laughs> play this one song, dude. It's your one dude, job. Play this one if song. We're, if we're winning in the third period, like, is there not just a note on the fucking boombox? We're like, hey, play all the small things. That's like yeah. kind of our bit. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those things I didn't notice until after the game. I didn't notice things, until I saw your tweet about it. Yeah, I was like, oh, that was weird, but it's like it was just it's just a fun thing. I I imagine they'll probably do it in the next couple, but if they phase it out, they phase it out. It, it's just I feel like that's what Colorado fans are known for now. I mean, it, I think the thing is, it was just such a layup last night. It's a, a dominant game. It's nothing. It's the home opener. You know, you're just you're waiting for. It. You're sitting yeah. out. You're looking around. Like, when are we gonna do the fun thing? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, if they get rid of it, they get rid of it. I really don't. I don't I'm not ready to say they're getting rid of it, especially if the guys out of the country. You know. Yeah. We'll have to see. But it was weird just not having that because you've just gotten used to it for the past. I mean, they were doing it even when they weren't good. Yeah. So, our thing. 
yeah, I, I don't know if they'll get rid of it, but it was it was weird last night. Um, so yeah, that that is the last bit of Avs news. Is there any other league news that we're missing? Any other big NHL stories? I mean, this one's just personally very funny for me. Uh, the Metropolitan leading Philadelphia Flyers are three and one on the season after beating the Oilers last night. Uh, Ooh, Flyers, Oilers, Flyers juggernaut. People are talking. I mean, they did this last year too, and then what they, they lost like. 60 of their last 80. No, they so, did. And you're totally right. But still, it's it's very funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I for one, have, I'm a little bit surprised about your caps. They le- legitimately look like one of the worst teams in the league. And I I'm think shocked, shocked they have a win. Yeah, because I think it was Raj who tweeted it, too. He was like, it's going to be really sad when Alex Ovechkin breaks Wayne Gretzky's record on an 18-win caps oh, team. Oh, record? <laughs> The guy's got to score a goal first before we can start talking about. Wasn't record. it the first time, first time in his career that he had gone like back-to-back games without registering a shot on goal? Yeah, it's bad right now. Things are tough here at the moment. It's so funny that they only win to spite me because we were recording the end of last episode during the first period where they gave up thirteen shots in like yes. the first ten minutes and they're losing one nothing and then it was two nothing. So, of course, they come back and win in a shootout just to make me look stupid. And then they go into Ottawa and get shit canned six to one. Like they're, this, they're they're terrible. This is a yeah. terrible hockey team. I didn't expect them to be this bad. I didn't. I, I thought and they're relatively healthy. They just I, look lost. I thought I was tempering myself by like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're healthy. I like some of the additions they've made. And that Scott Carberry is a new put Spencer Carberry. Why do I call him Scott Carberry? I don't know. It's Spencer Carberry. I th- I just make it up sometimes. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they haven't just been losing. They've been getting embarrassed. Yes, they've been. They've only played three games, granted, yeah. and had a comeback win and one. And the only reason that they won that game is because I was saying they were playing like shit live on a microphone, and then they were humiliated in their home opener, one of the worst games I've ever seen, and against Ottawa. They just Ottawa really, still looks really good, man. We'll I talk like about Ottawa. Ottawa. I'm not saying Ottawa hasn't been good, but the Caps were embarrassing. Yes, in that game, they, were bad. they, they were bad. just looked awful, just yeah. completely and utterly awful. Can you tell I'm upset about this? Yeah, no, I mean that that's surprising to me. Chicago beating Toronto was very funny. Um, Tampa Bay, like it's just man. We I love JoJo, but no, man, starting they, goalie. Yeah, they need Vasilevsky back. Give the poor guy a break. Yeah, they they lost. Buffalo hasn't looked great. That was a big win against Tampa uh, last night. Buffalo's got a lot of things to figure out. They're a young, and we're talking about maturity with the Avs. The Sabres are an immature team. Yes. Eric Johnson scored his first goal. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, EJ, they need EJ badly on that team. That is a great signing for Buffalo because he is going to have to be a mentor on this team. I think the concerning part for Buffalo is me is Devin Levi looks awful. And he's hurt day to day right now. He looks really bad. Like that game against Calgary last night, he was bad. You know, and you know, we were drinking the Sabres Kool-Aid too, not counting them out quite yet, but I, I never really liked that they're just kind of throwing Levi to the fire at 21 years old because the last time we saw this was Carter Hart. Yeah. Great goalie prospect destined to win Vesna's. It's fine. You know, and we've seen, goalie. Yeah. And like, we've seen like Spencer Knight get thrown to the wolves too. And a lot of that goes beyond just hockey goaltending and hockey. There's a lot of personal problems going into that too. And he's been okay at the NHL level. He's played 57 games and has never been below 900 in a season, but like that's a guy who was picked in the first round. 
Yeah. There's just for the Sabres, is it really a bad idea to just give the 21-year-old goalie a position where guys usually don't develop until they're 25 some help? Yeah, starting Eric Comrie in a couple games. Let Comrie go in there. Not even just that. Like it just they didn't Ekalukan to... get him in there too. He was good. No, it's it's a weird thing that they're just gonna hinge their season on a 21-year-old. You know, it's easy to say this now, now that they're one and three, then changing our attitude from before the season. But I mean, looking around the league right now, I mean the Kraken, we're talking about them. They they put up seven on the Hurricanes. We can transition this into talking about the Hurricanes game later, but the, the Kraken finally broke their offense out. And I believe it was seven, right, that they scored last night. Let me look it up. I'm looking at the wrong day. They scored, yep, seven to four. Seven to four. And the Hurricanes, I think, are another team that you look at to start the season and go, eh, not going on here. Great. Like, not, not bad, but not great. Like, this is a team that is, for some people, the cup favorites, three and two at the moment, but they've had – a they played the kings the ducks lost to the sharks. ducks they beat the sharks six to three and now they've lost the kraken i'm missing one they beat the senators to start the season yeah, i mean the Kings are going to be fine but i think they're just kind of dealing with some early season woes i mean there's only so much you can really say about a team four or five games into the year right right i mean let's talk about that game that's tonight by the time you're listening to this uh these games are close. Not like these games should be close, but the Avs have kind of had the Hurricanes number the past couple of years. Really so have. I think they're good, especially at home, especially in Ball Arena, they've kind of crushed them. So I think the Avs are going to win this game. I really do. I just, Georgiev's playing too well. Freddie's hurt, right? Didn't Freddie Anderson get a concussion or something like that? And Aho, I think, missed this game. Yeah. The Kraken. I mean, the Hurricanes are kind of limping at the moment. And yeah. none of their goalies have been particularly good. No. Freddie's an 855. Ranta is an 818. And Koshikov in the one game he's played is an 882. Yeah. So it's not been great for them to start the season. This is a weird one because the Hurricanes can just snap out of it at any time. Like they Correct. have a plethora of players. Their defensemen have been great. Brady Shea has like broken out offensively to start this season. He's got six points in five games, but there, there are guys that are struggling on this team. It's not going to be an easy win, but with it being in ball arena, my only concern is like, you have to lose eventually. There's nothing, there's nothing to do with this game, but it is genuinely hard to win five games in a row, especially to start the season. I still think they're going to win this game. I think the problems are going to come later when you have these breaks between games. I think yes. maybe the two-day break before you go hit the road and play the Islanders could be uh, an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, we struggle going into Long Island, but uh, I think they win this game against the Hurricanes. I do. And... I do, too. I, I, think they're, I think the Hurricanes are going to give up goals in this game. Yes. I'm going to say the Avs put up a five spot on them and win it five to two. I like that. I'll go five one. Yeah. I, I just on a different planet right now, man. Yeah, and, but the, the Hurricanes are a good team, and yes. they might put up 35 shots and Gewer give, gives up two. Still going to have a great night. Correct. So that'll be a rare one because then we'll come on the uh, we'll come on the pod and we'll only have one game to talk about. It's kind of yeah. nice having two games to talk about, but we'll only yeah, have one. I mean, the, the two ones before this were single-game episodes, to be fair. True, but true. We'll be able to preview two games next week. Yes. And come back on Monday and talk about that Islanders game and that Penguins game, and talk about this Hurricanes game once it happens. We're going to wrap this one up here because I've realized now we've been going for an hour 20. I don't know how that yes. happened, but 
we do want we do have a mailbag question that I promised I would answer on the show and I'd feel bad if I just forgot about. So I'm going to remember to do it. Our guy, Peter, again, asking another question. NHL coaches are required to wear a tie on the bench. Former longtime coach and misfit Roger Nielsen was famous for wearing outrageous and non-professional ties because he disagreed with the policy. Peter asks in 2023, should NHL coaches still be wear should be required to wear a tie on the bench? Christian, your thoughts on this delicate matter. I say, yeah, man. I mean, like it's Jared Bednar's a good looking guy. So, I mean, when he's wearing a suit, he looks real good. Um, guys like Ken Hitchcock, maybe let him wear just a, just a, just a hoodie. Like I, I, It's a style thing. I don't think it should be quote unquote required. Right. Bednar would still wear a suit and tie. Right. Even if it's not like they just take this rule away and Bednar is showing up in a sweatshirt and shorts. Like he's yeah. going to, he's going to keep showing up in his dapper suits. But you know, like if, if Bruce Boudreaux, wants to show up in in a, in a flannel you know fucking let yeah, up. I mean, I think it'd, it'd, be, it'd be hilarious it, yes. none of them are gonna do it it's it, it's so hockey is one of those ones because like the nba has done it like coaches aren't required to wear suits anymore for the nba nfl you literally have coaches who are coaching in sweatpants yeah um they're wearing and, a, they're wearing a team provided t-shirt yeah and literally the mlb is the only one where they actually have to dress up in uniform which i still think is very funny that managers have to wear like a full-on jersey with their name cleats and like all that shit uh the nhl i, I think it looks kind of cool because wasn't it during the covid year they kind of relaxed the rules yeah they relaxed a lot of things during covid like should do i think it should be required no but i also don't think that's going to do anything like no. I, th- I, think I think they're, they're still going to wear ties regardless of yes. what anybody says like, i don't think it would change anything required no but i mean you look good yeah, it, it looks good. So I, I, I'm a, I think it's a fun question, and also I think that it's just funny that they're required to wear a tie. Whereas, like as a guy who used to wear a tie to work every day, the mantra when it's come to ties now is like, if you wear a crazy pattern, that's actually encouraged. So it's like that coach that he mentioned. It's like that guy probably wouldn't even be that different in today's time because now people just wear crazy ass ties. Right. I'm so lucky. I don't have to wear ties to work. I hate wearing. Yeah. Ties. Look. Oh, see, I've gotten good at it. Like I, I, I tie all the fancy knots. Like I got good at it for a while. Still can't tie a bow tie to save my life, but I, I can do nice little Windsor knot, all that fun stuff. So much, much prefer my polo shirts. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I, I think the NHL is one of those ones where it's such a game of like history, respect, and like all that shit that they even if you don't make coaches wear a suit and tie, I think they'd still wear a suit and tie. Right. It's not like they've just been held back for so long. And the second they relax this rule, they're going to let out a deep sigh of relief yeah. and go final. They're not going to change anything. The one thing I would like to see is like you see the NBA players wearing all the crazy clothes. I think it'd be fun if they relaxed a little bit for the players just to see some personality. But uh, yeah, I mean, just imagine like think about a what hockey player now, like NHL player would wear the craziest clothes. And I think it's Austin Matthews. And even then, I don't think he'd wear that crazy of clothes. Yeah, it's it's another it's another culture thing. Yeah. So, but that was a good question. I had never thought about that until I never Peter thought about it. that until I read that for the first time just now. Yes. So, good question, Peter. Thank you for that. Thank you, Peter. We appreciate you. But I think we're ready to wrap up here. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It. 
Uh, we've done it again where we've just completely overshot what we were trying to do, but we do that sometimes. It's the joy of being back in the regular season, but we are going to wrap this one up here. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. As always, you can use promo code tell it as it is on SeatGeek for $20 off your first order of $50 or more. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at G Young's NHL. You can follow Christian at Christian underscore belay, and you can follow the show at tell it as it is. But again, Thank you all so very much for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. But until then, let's go abs. Go abs.